Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Welcome back. Oh, man, uh, we hated canceling last week, so we're so excited that you guys are here. Uh, I know for me, like, I felt like something was missing from my life, and I know a lot of you felt the same way. Uh, but just as a reminder, if, if we ever get into these, like, weird, tricky snow situations where, like, Justin Burke's, like, 12 feet of snow, and the weather app's like, it's not even raining outside, and you're trying to figure out what's going on, the best way to know for us is go on Facebook or Instagram, follow us there, or you can go to our website. Uh, we update it constantly so you can see Saturday night what our plan is, if we change some things, or, or even Sunday morning, or or you can uh, the, uh, head to our website, mycollective.church, or find us on social media, my, at mycollectivechurch. And those are kind of the best ways to figure out what's going on. Uh, because if it's up to us and, and we get to choose, we would do church. And because we want you all to know that it would take a lot for us to cancel. And last week, we didn't have a choice. We were in a snow emergency. And so the decision was taken out of our hands. But if we can have church, and even if it ends up being just one service, we're going to do it. And here's why. Because we know that if someone wakes up on a day where there's a threat of snow or snow on the ground and they still decide to get out of bed and go to church, they need it. And I know that for me, like, I don't like missing church because I like to be here every week. I need worship. I need communion in a moment just to take a deep breath. I need community. And so if it's safe for us to be here and it's safe for us to set up, we're going to do it. Now, it isn't easy to set up and tear down every single week. It's even harder in the snow. We know because we did it twice last year. It was like pouring down snow on us. And we're like, yeah, just keep going. We'll figure it out. But if, if we know that there are people that will be here, we're going to set this place up. And we're going to do everything we can to make it happen because we know that it's worth it. It's worth it to be here. And it's worth it to worship and to be in community and just be in a safe place for an hour every single week where we're trying to reset for life that will hit us really hard on Monday. And today, we're in week two of our musicology series, and this series is all about learning a better way to live. And Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that he came to give us life uh, to the full. And one of the ways that we can experience that is when we trust God and we trust what he teaches and we apply what he teaches to the, from the Bible into our lives. And so our goal for you in this series is that you trust God a little bit more and that you take one or two steps forward in your faith this year. Right? We said it two weeks ago that if you want 2019 to be different, it doesn't come down to resolutions. It comes down to taking steps forward in your faith. And so I want to commend those of you who are actively doing that. For those of you who have already taken steps this year toward, this year toward getting baptized, we have baptisms for three straight Sundays, starting with today during second service. For those of you who have taken steps toward trusting God with your finances and started giving or signed up for Financial Peace University so you can take control of your finances, for those of you who have taken steps toward being in community and join one of our collectives that kick off next week or two weeks from now, keep going. Growing in your faith isn't easy, but it's worth it. Now, for those of you who are on the fence, keep searching for answers. Keep showing up. Keep putting yourself in a place to learn and grow because we promise you it'll be worth it. Now, when we were last together, we started our musicology series by talking about this idea of rhythm. And we talked about how if you don't have rhythm in your life, it's just a bunch of noise. And today we're talking about harmony. In John 17, 21, it says this. It says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. Now, this is Jesus praying to God. He's talking about us. He's talking about his people. He's saying he wants his people to be united to each other in the same way that he is with God, his Father. And that isn't a small thing because it isn't just that they are united. They are one and the same. 
They have the same desires, the same mission. They're working toward the same goal, which is to seek and save lost people, to rescue the world, to heal the brokenness that our sin creates. And that's God's prayer for his people, that they would be one, that they would be united, to have the same mission and desires, ultimately that they would live in harmony together. The word harmony comes from the Greek word harmas, which means joining together. It's often used in Greek literature, including the New Testament, which is the original language of the New Testament, as the word to describe the place where two bones come together. It's a medical term, like an elbow. It's currently used in modern Greek as a construction term describing two pieces of wood or metal or concrete that come together, or like a joint. And oftentimes when we think about these words like unity and harmony, we often tie them to feelings. But it goes much deeper than that. Harmony requires that we play a part. It's tangible. It isn't just an idea. It requires that we interact. It requires action. Harmony requires work. Because you all love Dylan playing the keys to teach us about rhythm so much a few weeks ago, I have the musicians from the band coming back up here to share with you all about harmony. Now, in music, harmony is the process in which the composition of individual sounds join together to make a song. And when they do that, you can hear the relationship between the notes that are played, and this relationship makes harmony. In other words, you can't have harmony if the musicians don't play. Harmony requires action. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to play the song Reckless Love, which was the second song that we played today. But we're actually going to go instrument by instrument, and we're going to start with the drums. So these are going to play just a little bit of it. We'll go down the line, then we'll play it all together. You ready, drums? On bass. All right, let's do electric. Keys. All right, so now let's put them all together. Thank you, man. Let's give it up for the band. So listening to them play, I think we'd all agree that they're talented, right? That each person played their individual part well. But none of us would say that it sounded better apart, right? We would all say that when they played together at the same time, when they played the same song with the same rhythm and had harmony, that was a better version of the song. Now, if they all played different songs, it doesn't matter how talented they are, it wouldn't be harmony. It would be disjointed. It would sound terrible. It would sound like a mess. But because they all have the same goal, the same desires to play reckless love so that we can worship, they play with harmony. And so while we can look at harmony and how it plays out in our lives or in our own relationships or even in our own careers, I want to look at harmony in the church and the role that we all play, every single one of us. And Paul writes about this idea to a church in Corinth. And Paul was a follower of Jesus who had an incredible story. But before he was Paul, he was actually called Saul. He had a separate name. God later changed his name to Paul. But when he was still going by Saul, he was a very powerful man that spent his days and nights persecuting and killing Christians, including the first Christian martyr, a person who's actually killed for their faith. 
The first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen. And when the crowd went to kill him because he was a follower of Jesus, the crowd actually laid their clothes at the feet of Saul, signifying that he was in charge. It was Saul's orders that killed Stephen. Then Saul has this moment where he's walking on a road to Damascus and God blinds him and God begins to speak to him. And so what Paul does is he repents. He turns away from the life he's living, a life that's away from God, a life that persecutes Christians, a life that kills Christians, a life that's moving him further and further away from Jesus. And he repents of that. He turns the other direction. He turns toward Jesus. And then he's baptized. He's immersed in water. It signifies the death of his old life, the death of Saul. And he's raised up into a new life and given the name Paul. And the story is really awesome. His, his whole experience and his whole life is wonderful. And then Paul, what he does, he actually goes on to plant churches that would change the world, including one in Corinth that's having major issues with living and serving in harmony with one another. And so what he does, he actually writes them this letter. And in 1 Corinthians 12, he actually writes them talking about harmony and division in the church. And this is what he says. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If you've ever been to church or you have friends that go to church, you might have heard the phrases church body or body of believers or just the body. Now, these phrases are in reference to those verses. And so what Paul's saying is the church, although it is full of people who look different, sound different, act different, they all come together as one. There's many parts and one body, there's one church. And Paul, as he talks to this church in Corinth, he's specifically calling out the Christians that are there. He's saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, if that is your church home, live in harmony because you are all part of one body. He says, it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you grew up in the church or in the past you persecuted Christians. You are a part of one body. Work together. It's not just about one person. It's about all of you. And the same is true for you. You play a part in the body. You play a part in the church. You play a part in this church, whether you know that or not, whether you like that or not. We are all part of one body called Collective Church. Paul continues by calling out the division in the church. He says this, If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange your body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, I can't help but read this and think that Paul is kind of talking to them like, he's, like they're children, right? He repeats the same thing over and over and over again. We could read the first verse, and like, okay, we get it. And then he says it again, like, okay, we get it even more. He says it in five specific verses. He says, if your whole body was in here, how would you smell anything? Now, this sounds like a game that I would play with my three-year-old where we pretend to smell out of our ears or listen out of our eyes or something. But I also think Paul writes this because it really is that simple, you are all a part of the same body, and the role you play is important. I've mentioned before, um, but I went to college at a very small school in Johnson City, Tennessee, and there were about 1,000 students in the school. 
In fact, when I first started there, they only had around 900 students. And when we broke the 1,000-person barrier, it was a really big deal. The news came out to film the announcement. And to celebrate, we had a sheet cake in the cafeteria. It was very, very lame. That was my school. Um, but our school was so small that we didn't have a football team. And because of that, there was a yearly tradition of the alumni playing a flag football game against the students. And this was a big deal, too big of a deal. And when I was a freshman, a senior who took the game way too seriously came to my dorm to ask me and my roommate if we wanted to play. Now, he had no idea if we had ever played football before. He didn't even ask if we knew what football was. But again, a thousand kids, so you do your best with what you've got. And we ended up deciding to play that day. And when we arrived on the field, there were about 30 other students stretching and getting ready for this game. Now, the senior, who now had a whistle around his neck and was asking everybody to call him coach, told us all to line up on the side of the field. And then he asked, which one of you can play quarterback? 25 guys raised their hands. 25 out of 30. Everyone wanted to be a quarterback. No one wanted to play a different position. We ended up losing by 50. It was very embarrassing. And this is exactly what Paul is pushing us. He's saying that we aren't all quarterbacks, but we're all part of the team. He says, we all have value in the church. We all have talents to offer the church. But the only way the body works the right way is if there's harmony, if we play our part and we work together. In your life, are you using the talents and abilities that God has given you to make an impact in this world, in your relationships, in your church? Taking a step farther, are you using the circumstances that you have been through to make an impact? Or do you sit back and wish you were created differently so you could play a bigger part, a more important part, or a part that the people you follow on Facebook play that you're secretly envious of, right? You wish you were married. You wish you were a dad. You wish you had more money. You wish you had a better job and you're screaming, I'm a hand, but you're actually an ear. Are you playing your part in the body? And then Paul continues, and this is my favorite part of everything he says. 1 Corinthians 12, 22. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. I want to read that again. He says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. How many of you feel like you're too weak? You're too unimportant to matter, to make a difference. And maybe you've been told that, told that you're too broken, too young, too old, you're a woman, you're a minority. The world has told you or people have told you or the church has told you that you aren't valuable enough to matter. And Paul teaches that the parts that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Now, have you ever heard that before? Have you ever thought that before? You think you are weak, God teaches you that you are the most necessary. You think you're the least important, God says you are needed. Scripture teaches us that we are not too anything to be loved by God. We're not too messed up to receive his grace. We're not too broken to be a part of the body, too sinful to make an impact on the kingdom of God. The church is full of broken, messed up, imperfect people, but that is who God chooses to be his church. He says they matter. They can make a difference. They can have an impact. Now, if you don't believe me, or you think that's too good to be true, let me just tell you about some of the people that come to this church and are part of the team here at Collective. There's a single mom who works long hours to give her daughter the best childhood possible. When she serves, she wakes her daughter up early, they get ready, and she heads here to serve both services in Collective Kids. 
And she does that because of the way that people have loved her and her daughter. And she wants other kids at Collective to have that same love. There's a man who has cancer. On Saturday, there'll be chemo. And on Sunday, he's here helping with teardown. And the reason why, it's good. The reason why is because Jesus has wrecked his life in amazing ways. And all he knows to do is create space so you can have that same experience. There are couples who struggle to have children. Couples who have experienced infidelity. There are couples who have children who've walked away from Jesus. And I can keep going. There are people who are currently addicted, people in recovery. There are skeptics and there are people who grew up in the church but never truly owned their own faith. And so now they're seeking again. And while all of those pieces look broken and look weak and look unimportant, God has brought them together with one goal, to seek and save lost people to let you know that Jesus is real, that he loves you, he came to forgive you, he knows your name, he calls you good. He thinks you are so valuable that he would give up his entire life for yours. The most lopsided trade in human history was for you and your soul. And what Jesus does is he leaves the church to a group of misfit sinners and rejects and doubters and tells them to be united, to have harmony and change the world. That's the church. And I think the reason why Paul says that the weak and unimportant are the most necessary is because those are the people that crave grace the most. And those are the people that when they receive it, they're gonna share it with as many people as possible. That's what the church should look like. A group of broken people that are united in sharing the grace and truth of Jesus to a lost and broken world. That's beautiful. And when they do that, and when we do that, and this is what Paul says, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. That's the church. It's beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Paul finishes and he says this, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. About a year ago, a video started to circulate on Facebook that was amazing and disgusting at the same time. Uh, here's a screenshot so you can check it out. So this was taken on the tail end of Hurricane Harvey in Houston while flooding continued to plague the region. Those are fire ants, a raft of fire ants. Scientists have recently discovered that when water starts to flood at a fire ant colony, they actually take action. Worker ants link legs and mouths together, weaving a raft in a process that can take less than two minutes. Ant colonies join together to save themselves by making a raft. They can also band together to make a ladder and will do so in order to reach different branches or move their colony away from predators. They can even form a giant ball in order to protect themselves when attacked. Google it, it's awesome and disgusting at the same time. And probably the most fascinating thing about ants is how they care for each other when they've been attacked or wounded. When a predator attacks a colony, the ants will care for their wounded. In fact, ants are the only non-human animals that have ever been observed systematically nursing their wounded back to health, just ants. Scientists have also found out that wounded ants, if left alone, die at an 80% rate. But if ants are tended to by their own colony, only 10% die. They work together. They have the same goals. They care for each other. They know they can't do this alone. They band together. They create rafts to attack people or whatever they do, but they have harmony. That's what they do. And this is what's expected for us, that we care for each other, that we join together to protect each other, that we help each other. But the sad thing is that we have a better example from ants than we do from people. Because although, as Paul, although Paul is writing to a church, right, one of the first churches to ever exist, they were divided. They lacked harmony. 
And we still see that today. We rarely put the needs of others first. We rarely go out of our way to care for other people because we are afraid of getting hurt. We let 80% die because of self-preservation. But Paul says when one part of the body suffers, we suffer. The church is a body. It has harmony. It has purpose. Every person matters. They play an important part. They suffer together. They're glad together. And that's the type of church we want Collective to be. And that's the type of church we want you to be a part of. And I told you our goal in this series was that everyone would take a step forward in their faith. And so today, the biggest challenge for you is to take a step and be a part of this body to join the team. Join the Connections team and help people feel welcome and connected. Join the Collective Kids team to teach our children that God loves them and he will never leave them. Join the production team. Help us make an excellent worship experience. Join the Setup and Teardown team. Help us create the best environments possible. Ultimately, help us create spaces where people can experience the grace and truth of Jesus. And joining the team isn't easy. It means you show up twice a month and you serve both services. That's the way we do it. We get here at 6.45 to unload a trailer. We set up, we host two services, we tear down. It's hard. It's a huge sacrifice, but we don't take that lightly. And the 90 people who serve here regularly will tell you that it's absolutely worth it. From time to time, people will ask me why we do both services every other week. And the biggest reason why is because we need 50 people to step up in order to serve one service every other week. And the thing is, our team knows that. They've known that from the start. In fact, we started with 30 people who served every single Sunday for nine months. But they're willing to dig deep in hopes that collective gets to a place where we can take that step. It could be a few months, it could be a few years, but they're willing to do whatever it takes to create space for people to experience God's grace. And this board to my right, and you've seen it in the lobby before. This represents people who serve at Collective and are a part of this team. And so what we do is whenever, anytime someone joins a team, we actually have them sign a block. And on the back side of the block, it actually says, pray for Collective. Because at the end of the day, none of this works if there isn't prayer, right? That's the foundation of every single piece of this. And we have people who say, I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to dig in. They sign that block and they put it on the board. And this board includes middle schoolers. There are parents, there are people who are single, there are grandparents, there are people that are messy, people who are new to following Jesus, people who have been doing it for years, people who aren't really sure they're doing it at all. And there is not a better representation of this church than that board right there. That's why all the blocks look different. We are different. That is why it looks beat up. We're beat up. That's why it looks messy. We're messy. But when we come together, we are one body, we are a church, we're a collective. And collective is a group of people that come together to become one. We have the same goal, which is to show people just how good Jesus is, but we all play different parts. And the thing is, Paul says, like, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do. Like, that's, that's why we're in this, right? We're not just in it to sit and listen. We're in it to be a part of this together. I mean, that's why it's on your connection card where you can check it off. That's why you can go to the lobby and join the team. It isn't because it's just something that churches do. It's because we're in this together. But here's the thing. We don't want something from you. This isn't, if you feel guilt tripped or you feel like, oh, this is just what churches do, don't do it. That's, that's not what this is about at all. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. And so when we talk about being a part of this team, it isn't an expectation. You are not required to be on the team to come to Collective. You can sit in those seats for the rest of your life if that's what you need. But one thing I do know is that you are not getting the full experience of this church if you just continue to show up for service. You won't see life change the way our team sees life change. You won't experience community the way that they do. 
And since Collective has started, uh, we've gotten a few emails from people who are leaving to, to find a new church. And um, one thing that matters the most for us is when people step away from Collective or figure out like this isn't their sweet spot, we never want Collective to be the last church they ever go to. And so we actually actively will, will pursue those people and try to help them find their next church, find the right place for them in the season of life or the, or the things that they're passionate about. But in order to do that, I always ask a few questions. And the first thing I ask is, are you in a collective? Are you in one of our small groups? The second question is, are you serving? Like, are you here on Sundays doing this with those people who show up before the sun goes up and sit in the cold and make this thing happen? And 100% of those emails, the answer will be no to one or both of those questions. And it breaks my heart because I know that that person leaving never got to see just how good this church can be. Because life, can't, life change can come when you're sitting in those seats. And we're going to see it later with Rachel. But we've seen more life change in the people that are on this team and serve here than any other thing that we do. That's not how we designed it. We didn't set off to do that in the beginning. That's just what we've seen. And the reason why is because it's harmony. Because we're in it together, because we care for one another, because we do everything we can to say it's not about us, it's about people who need Jesus. Now, if you want to just attend church, that's fine. But at some point, you'll run into the tension that God didn't create you to simply show up here and not play a part in it. He created you to be a part of the body, to, pay, to play a part in life change, not just see it. He created you to be joined together, to have the same goals, to have the same mission, and change the world. And I know some of your stories, and I know that some of you are not in a place yet to join a team or to serve or to wake up that early in the morning, and that's okay. And some of you will say that you're not sure you trust God, that you're not sure you trust church or trust this church, and I understand that, and that's completely okay, seriously. You don't need to feel bad because you're skeptical. Just make sure you are putting yourself in a place to move out of skepticism and closer to trust, whatever that may look like for you. I know for Matt Acosta, it meant serving on this team. He started showing up to collective things before we ever really were collective. He was skeptical. He wasn't sure he believed that following Jesus mattered, but he still spent time showing up at 645, setting up the space every single Sunday for pretty much the first year of us as a church. And after over a year of doing that, he realized that Jesus gave him more value, gave him more hope, gave him more joy than anything else. And his skepticism slowly faded until he gave his life to Jesus just a few months ago. And that's true for Catherine and Emily and Jessica and Eric and Dustin and a ton of other people who decided they wanted to join the team to use the gifts God has given them. And in doing so, God broke into their lives in huge ways while they created space for Jesus to do the same for so many of you. And the truth is that can be true for you as well. It's true for Jess, who's getting baptized today. Just started coming to Collective in May. By August, she had joined the team and started serving on our Connections team out in the lobby. Now, while all of this was happening, Jess was going through one of the hardest seasons of her life, if not the hardest season of her life. And Jess will tell you there were parts of her life that weren't what she hoped they would be, but instead of running away, she actually leaned in. And Jess would also tell you this wasn't because she was overly confident in her faith. It was because she was searching and she didn't want to do it alone, so she started serving. And trust me when I say this wasn't easy for her. She has two young kids and waking them up to be here by 6.45 is hard. I'm an adult. I get here at 6.45. That's tough. I can't imagine adding my two kids to that mix, but she did it. And while she served, she asked questions. She listened to the sermons during the week and reached out to friends to talk about them. She was trying to figure out what grace looked like, what forgiveness looked like. A few weeks ago, she emailed me that she was ready to take this step and get baptized. And she'll tell you, it's not because her life has gotten easier. There wasn't some magic thing that happened where all of a sudden she felt like, oh, I'm ready. 
She'll tell you it's because she realized that her brokenness doesn't define her and she doesn't have to be perfect. And so when she told me that she was ready to get baptized, we actually started to talk about dates and we were talking about the 20th and this is what she wrote. She said, I'm on Connections that Sunday, but I think that's absolutely perfect to take this step on a morning I'm working alongside people who've become my family. Now, don't you want that? And I know you don't know Jess, but you have to understand just how important and how big that is for her to say that this is her family. And so many of you have that missing piece of your life or that longing in your life. You're looking at 2019 and you're trying to start it off the right way and you're hoping your resolution is the thing that sticks. But the reality is when we read scripture and we read what Jesus is saying, we know what it is. We know what the answer is. The resolutions haven't worked since they started. The only thing that works we know is Jesus. So God has given you gifts and talents and experience so that you can make a difference. It doesn't matter if you think you're unimportant or you think you're too weak. God says that he can use that and it's necessary and it's needed and it's important. You're, you're important. You're valuable. Jesus created us so that we can play a part in his church, something that's so much better than we can get anywhere else. The church is the most beautiful institution in the world when it's done right and we get to be a piece of that. It isn't just for other people because it will impact us as well. And every single one of us should long to be a part of that, to be a part of life change in our church and change in our own lives as well. And Paul teaches us it starts with harmony. It starts when we recognize that we're in this together, not just serving here, but in life together. We do not have to do this alone. We are one body. We all play important parts. Whether or not you think you're a piece of that or not, you are. It doesn't matter how broken you are, how messed up you are. It doesn't matter if you're in a stage of your life that you don't know how to get through. You are valuable and you are a part of this because that's what Jesus wants for your life. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, um, that we don't have to do this alone. God, that when we look at our own lives and we try to navigate our relationships or our career or even our faith by ourselves, we realize that it's just incredibly difficult and we don't really ever get anywhere. And God, that's because you created us not to do things like that alone. And God, we're so thankful that we get to be together and we can be united and we can have harmony and we can be a church. God, that we can play a small little part in life change and reconciliation of marriages and relationship and people releasing the shame that they've carried for years and people who let go of the burdens of debt or life or past relationships, God, that as a church that we get to see that and witness it and play this really small part. And God, we know that we couldn't do this without you. God, thank you that it doesn't matter how weak we are, how unimportant we feel, how broken we are, how messed up we are, how sinful we are. You can still use us. God, I just pray that every person here understands that, that we don't leave today thinking that uh, God can't use me, it's just for everyone else, but God, that we walk out open to what you can do in our lives and in our relationships and in this church and in this city. God, thank you for the ways that you love us and care for us. It's better than anything we ever could have imagined. We love you and praise in your name, amen.